The Tenth Collective is an initiative from Revision Path and State of Black Design created to help connect Black designers searching for their next opportunity with the companies that want to hire them. So if you're a Black designer and you're looking for a new job, go to thetenthcollective.com to sign up for free or check out the link in the show notes. We're here to help you find your next big opportunity today. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. We are helping to raise money for Selma Tornado Relief with the United Way of Central Alabama. So back in January, a tornado ripped through my hometown of Selma, Alabama, and it's really going to take a community effort to get things back to normal. If you're familiar with the civil rights movement, you know about the importance of Selma, Alabama. This coming weekend is actually the first uh, Bridge Crossing Jubilee, which is an event that we have every year that commemorates the events of Bloody Sunday. It's the first time this is happening since the tornado, and they're really going to need a lot of help to get the city back together. So if you're in a position to help, then text the word SELMA to 62644 and donate any amount that you can. Also, if you send me proof of your donation, I will match it 100% up to the first $1,000 donated. Again, text SELMA, S-E-L-M-A, to 62644. I'll also put this information in the show notes. Big, big thanks to those of you who have already donated. Revision Path is sponsored by Brevity and Wit. Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They're always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is also sponsored by Hover. Do you have a project or something that you want to launch this year, like a podcast or something like that? Whatever it is that you're passionate about and you want to build it online, Hover has got your back. Everything online begins with a domain name, and Hover makes the process of choosing and using your domain name a piece of cake. Plus, if you get stuck, they have a best-in-class customer support team that can help you out every step of the way. They even have this thing called Who Is Privacy. You know, when you look up domains, you can sort of see who it's registered to, their address and all that stuff. Who Is Privacy blocks all of that, so you can keep your identity safe from hackers or anyone out there trying to get that information from you. Get started today with Hover by going to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. For 10 years, Revision Path has been dedicated to showcasing black designers and creatives from all over the world. In order to keep bringing you the content that you love, we need your support now more than ever. If you're in a position to help us grow, here's how you can contribute. Visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and click the donate button there to make a one-time, monthly, or annual donation to help keep Revision Path running strong. Thanks for your support. Also, and I know I've mentioned this uh, in the past few episodes, we have a brand new hotline. So if there's something that you really like about a particular episode, if there's an interview or a guest that you really love, you can actually call, leave us a voicemail message and let us know. 
The number is 626-603-0310. You might just hear your message on a future episode. Again, that number is 626-603-0310. We'll put it in the show notes as well. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with Matisse Fields, an independent brand designer located in Portland, Oregon. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. I am Matisse Fields, and I am an independent brand and product designer in Portland, Oregon. Nice. How has 2023 been going for you so far? 2023 has been, like, fantastic. I had a pretty rough 2022, uh, like, honestly, one of the worst years I've had in a long time. Oh. And so... I think when I came in in 2023, I kind of came in this mindset like that's not happening again. And it hasn't so far. It's been great. I feel like for the first time in a long time, I'm kind of like firing on all cylinders. So it feels good. Well, that's good. That's a good turnaround. I mean, I think 2022 was a rough year for a lot of people, particularly if you, you know, like were working in tech or design or something because of like a bunch of layoffs and stuff. COVID is still around. Like a lot of people had a rough year. I had a rough year last year too. So I completely a hundred percent understand where you're coming from. Definitely. I saw on Instagram, you just finished up a branding campaign last month. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah, that was one of the high points of my, my 2022. I got to work with a company called Black Campaign School. And so I kind of partnered with this group called Three Point Strategies and sort of help them reboot kind of what Black Campaign School is. And so they've been around, I think, since 2016. And I kind of came in, or we kind of came in with the goal of just like differentiating it from some of that kind of like DC vibe, you know, like super political red, white, and blue theme that they had originally had. And so, yeah, I came in, worked with them, on the branding side of kind of determining what blank black campaign school is sort of redoing that logo, a lot of their brand identity. And then we built out a lot of stuff for their kind of reboot of the actual physical school, which was really cool. I got to do a lot of kind of like physical stuff for the camp, which is located at Haley farm in Tennessee. It's like a really cool historically black farm in Tennessee. So yeah, it was great. You said red, white, and blue. Was it like a, like a political advocacy group or something? Yeah. So basically the goal of black campaign school is to kind of teach people who are like really involved with campaigning and kind of that organizing for like social justice and stuff like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's like kind of a school to teach them how to use that and like take that to politics and run for office or, you know, kind of, kind of boost that up a little bit. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was looking through the branding and it's only as you mentioned it now that I was like, oh, this is political. Cause the branding does not at all scream politics, which I think is good. I mean, I've worked on a political campaign, so I know, I feel like every campaign from California to Florida uses red, white, and blue in some iteration. So when you said that and you mentioned it, I was like, oh, is this, is that what it is? But yeah, it does. And, you know, I'll put a link to it and everything so people can kind of check out 
what the brand looks like, but I definitely did not get politics from it. That's great. Then we accomplished the goal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Nice. Are you working on any other projects at the moment? Currently, no. So I kind of knew that January was going to be more of a slow month for me. So a lot of January was me kind of just like trying to get my stuff in order. So uh, updating my portfolio. I'm kind of in the midst of getting my LLC. So doing a lot of work with that, doing a lot of promoting on social media, just trying to get my work out there. But I am starting a new project on Monday, which is exciting. It's like a kind of small little contract gig with Breville, which is like a coffee. They make tabletop coffee makers and and stuff like that. So that'll be fun. And then on another fun side, (laughs) I started a Euchre club. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar what Euchre is. Um, Spades, right? Similar to Spades, uh, (laughs) but not quite. It's like a game of tricks, but it has a little different nuance than Spades. But it's like I'm from the Midwest originally, so it's like a big kind of Midwest thing for us. So I started a club with a group of like 14 of my friends. And I was like, well, you know, well, I don't have that much to do. Why not just kind of act like this is a project? So I made a logo for it, got like swag made for it and stuff. So it's been kind of a fun thing to do. Nice. I have not heard Euchre since, and I'm dating myself here. I haven't heard Euchre since Yahoo Games. I think Yahoo (laughs) Games had like Euchre. I think they also had spades too, but they had hearts, of course, literati, stuff like that. Uh, What drew you to Euchre? Is it a, is it a like distinctly Midwest game? I think it is. And it's just, it's fun when you have like a group of, you know, a few people. And I feel like every time we'd be like hanging out at somebody's house, like all my friends in Portland are from the Midwest in some capacity. So it's like whenever we'd hang out, we'd be like, let's play Euchre. And so we actually had this like party back in like end of last year. And it was called the Midwest Fest. My Mm -hmm. friend put it on. Basically, it was a party and everyone brought casseroles and uh, like everything was themed towards Miss West. There was cornhole and there was a bonfire and everything you do in the country of the Midwest. And so we ended up playing Euchre there and there was like so many people interested. We were like, why not just start a club? And so, yeah, it kind of started from there. Interesting. Urban Dictionary defines Euchre as a four-person Trump-based, not the president, Trump-based card game (laughs) primarily played on Midwestern college campuses involving a 24-card deck and many beers. Is that accurate? That is insanely accurate. (laughs) 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 A lot of beers are had. Yes, I started playing in college. Yeah, that is so accurate. What inspired you to become a brand designer? I honestly never saw this for myself. I think if you would have talked to me five, 10 years ago, I'd have been like, no, but I don't know. I've always been creative in a sense. It hasn't always been in the design or art sense, but I've always kind of had an eye for creativity. And so when I first started my career, I was very UX, UI heavy, which I love, but 
it wasn't quite like fulfilling me. And so I kind of always knew that eventually there would be more transition to a more creative side of design. And I tried a lot of different things. I was like, I'm going to be an illustrator. And I, I started doing that. I'm like, eh, maybe I'm not going to be an illustrator. And then I really was into like type design for a little bit. And I was like, I'm going to be a type designer. And that wasn't quite, it wasn't my time for that either. And so I think just kind of as my career went on, I kind of started forming myself to be more of a brand designer and then kind of just like jumping in and trying to get those opportunities. So, yeah, <laughs> I think that's it. There's no like kind of straightforward answer for it. But well, I think it's good that you were able to kind of explore these different kind of facets of design before you landed on something that works for you. That's a good thing. Definitely. I think my entire life has been try everything you can. Mm -hmm. That was like kind of what my college, my whole college career was. I think that's just like the way that works best for me. It's like, I want to try as much stuff as I can. And then, you know, when it sticks, it sticks. So, yeah. How would you describe your design process? Like when you get a new project, like what goes through your mind as you're putting everything together? The minute I get a a proposal or an inquiry or email, thoughts are already running my head. I'm like, my head is, or my brain is just going at a thousand miles a minute at all times. So when I first get an email, I kind of already am thinking through what could be. So that's kind of one part. Um, I think the biggest part for me when it comes to working on a project, um, especially independently, is really getting kind of close with the client. And so like really determining what is right for them. So with that comes a lot of questions. I like to sit down and kind of just dig deep and know everything that I can about this client and, you know, why this project is happening and what they want to get out of it and the origin behind the company and the name and everything. So that's definitely a big part of the process. And then I would say this is something I kind of learned from my time at Work & Co., but I like to show often. I'm not like a huge wireframe or sketch things out type of guy. I kind of like to just like get in and get dirty super quick. And with that comes a lot of bad things, quite frankly. But I think part of my process is being really consistent with showing how I'm getting to you know, the point that I'm getting to. So at Work & Co., we showed work every day and it wasn't always like the greatest work and it, you know, sometimes it didn't make sense, but it really helps to form that story around how you get to like that final product. I think one part of my process is definitely just showing a lot of work. And even if I don't think it's great or it could be tweaked, just kind of showing that that process and being super transparent about that. So yeah, that's like the early stages of the process, definitely. So it's a lot of information gathering, like at first, it sounds like. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I want to know everything that I can. So yeah, and Dropbox paper is like my best friend. I just have like <laughs> things jotted down everywhere. So do you like start off digital or do you start off analog? Usually digital, honestly. Yeah, I've never been like a a sketcher or or anything like that. So yeah, definitely digitally. Okay. What do you think are the most important elements of a successful brand design? 
I think, honestly, the storytelling, like forming kind of the story around what the brand is, and that will kind of seep into what ultimately what the look of the brand is going to be. So I've always kind of worked, I guess, in between like a lot of the strategy sides and design sides. So I think, yeah, the storytelling is definitely like the biggest part of the brand, just a strong idea of what this brand is. And then that will easily flow into what is the actual sort of part of the visual side of it. Is it easy to sort of get the client online with that? Like to let them know that, yeah, we are talking about brand, but actually we're going to dive more into what story is being told. Cause I feel like sometimes clients just want to see something like they want to see something visual so they can either accept it or reject it. Most likely reject it, but they kind of want to see something, you know? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I do think it is sometimes a little difficult getting, getting them on board with that. But I think showing, I think I'm a big part of, this is what I did on X project. And like, this is how, you know, I can work with you to sort of get you to that point. And it might start like super dry and you might not see anything for a little bit, but like once we nail it down, it's going to be really easy to kind of get to that point where the visuals are going to be. And I think that definitely helps with that conversation for sure. Has there ever been a time where you've kind of started out in that beginning process? And then by the time you got to the the finished product, it was something completely different. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a of a specific time. But I think that honestly, it kind of happened a little bit with the Black Campaign School. Like we kind of knew what it was that we wanted to do and wanted to accomplish. But I think the vision of the end goal was a lot different or the vision of the visuals at the end were a lot different. You know, we kind of ended in this sort of more like regal, dark, purple, kind of like really showcasing like the people and the kind of what behind Black Campaign School. And I think the original was like, we wanted to be happy and flowing and pastels and, and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I think... There's definitely been a lot of a lot of times when that's happened, for sure. Hmm. So I want to kind of learn more about you. And you, you've kind of alluded a bit already since we were talking about Euchre, about your origins in the Midwest. So let's go back there. Tell me about where you grew up. Yeah, I'm uh, originally from Columbus, Ohio. I grew up in the city up through seventh grade, went to like Columbus City Schools and then When I was in seventh grade, we moved to kind of the country of Columbus. uh, We moved to this little town called Lithopolis, which is like 30 minutes south of Columbus. And I went to a really tiny high school called Bloom Carroll, which was like in the middle of a cornfield, basically. Went from a middle school of 1500 kids to a high school of 380. Mm. That was a huge change in my life. And then I went there all through high school. And then after high school, went to a small college called Capital University, which is about five minutes from Ohio State, small kind of private 
liberal arts college. And then uh, was there all throughout college and a couple years after college and then kind of moved around the Midwest. I, I lived in Chicago for a little bit. I lived in Detroit for a little bit. And yeah, now I'm in Portland, now, now Portland, Oregon. <laughs> Growing up, were you like really creative? Were you drawing and sketching a lot or something like that? No, I was honestly the complete opposite. I've always been really creative and but it was more in the music form. I actually like art was like my least favorite class. Oh. Yeah, it's it's really crazy. But I always kind of had this like weird affinity, like now that I think about it, for design. Like I was really meticulous about like how my handwriting looked, how my signature looked, and how my notes were organized. So I kind of always had that sense of, I guess, design in a sense, but I just like didn't really know it back then. I was a big music kid. I uh, started playing violin in like elementary school. My parents had me in like piano lessons when I was really young. And then when I got to middle school and high school, I switched to playing the clarinet and I played the bass clarinet all through high school, ended up being really good at it had a lot of different like musical honors and and stuff like that in high school and then actually went to college for music originally back then i I just knew i wanted to be a music teacher i thought i was going to like be this like really great musical director and work in colleges and and universities and stuff like that and quickly found out that was not what i wanted to do (laughs) but yeah, I've been really musical my whole life, but I haven't been into art and design my entire life. What turned you off from doing music? I love playing music. That was like my therapy when I was a kid. I think there was a couple of things when it came to me learning kind of the intricacies. I wasn't that interested. I just like really wanted to play. I didn't really want to do all the music theory and learning piano and, and and all that. So I think that was part of it. I think another part was just, I was like not focused in college at all. Honestly, probably should have taken time off after high school before going to college, but my head just wasn't there. It just kind of was like, okay, this is not for you. Like you can keep playing and, but a career in music probably isn't the best thing. So well, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, if you were playing bass clarinet, I'm trying to think what you would, you kind of would almost have to go into a symphony, I guess. I don't know if there are like, when I think of, of house bands and stuff like that, like I, I play trombone all through middle school, high school, college, throughout my 20s. Like every band kind of wants a trombone player, especially if you're talking like a club or something like that. But yeah, I would guess if you're doing bass clarinet, that kind of limits options and venues for you to play unless you go like completely pro or something definitely and i think it's actually probably one of the easier like if you're really good basically i think it's one of the easier instruments to get a gig with because there aren't a lot of people that play that instrument and so Mm -hmm. i did during college and a little bit after college i would play in different symphonic bands and stuff and it was really fun i actually would my piano teacher in college was a bass clarinet major. And so I think she eventually moved out of Ohio. And when she moved, she was like, I'm going to like refer you 
for all these gigs for bass clarinet. And so for a while I did that, where it was, I get a call, we have a concert coming up. I'd go to the concert like an hour before, run through all the music one time and then play the concert. It was so much fun. And and that was great. Being a teacher, it just, it just wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so when you were at Capital University, you majored in marketing. Tell me about what your time was like there. Kind of going back to like the idea of me like trying everything and seeing if it if it sticks. That was kind of my entire college career. I originally came in as a music major, music education major. Did that for I think like a year and like half of my sophomore year. And then I was like, okay, that's not working. But like also I don't know what I want to do. And so I did everything. I was like, oh, I'm gonna be an accountant. So I was like an accounting major for a little while. And then I was like, I really don't like math. And then I was like, I'm going to, you know, do psychology. And then I was like, maybe I want to get into real estate. I thought about like transferring to Ohio State because they had like a real estate program. And then eventually I was just like, all right, just do marketing. Like, it's easy. Like, I don't know what I want to do in marketing, but it was easy. And so picked up the marketing major, stuck with it. And also kind of like I was saying earlier, I just like wasn't really focused in college and didn't really necessarily care about the schoolwork. But what I did know I enjoyed was like working and doing internships. And so once I kind of got that marketing major, I started doing internship after internship. My friends would always make fun of me because they're like, oh, you're on to the next internship. And I did like, I think, 12 in college and all different companies and just kind of seeing like where I fit in at and marketing. And then eventually I started interning with a company called Ohio Health, which is like a healthcare system in Ohio. And I was doing digital marketing there. And the team was basically just me and my boss. Um, So I got to do a lot of different stuff. And for a while, I was really focused on like analytics and kind of just like that the website of things, but like on a marketing perspective. So like SEO and and stuff like that. And yeah, so then eventually I was there and this kind of segues of how I got into like design was I was working at the internship, been there for probably about like a year and a half. And they came to me, my boss came to me and was like, Hey, we need like this web page redesign. Um, and I was like, Oh, okay. I don't really know what what that means, but sure. And so I took on that project and it was really cool. I kind of got the lead up all the strategy behind it and how we are doing copy and, and stuff like that. And we didn't even have design software. So I did wireframes and PowerPoint. Yeah, but it was just like a really cool process. And then from there, I was like, okay, I think this is what I want to do. Like, I really like, like UX and, and the web and stuff like that. And then So that's how I kind of got into design. But long story short, didn't do really well in school, but kind of picked up that marketing major and then kind of found my way through internships rather than school. My goal for school is like, just get through it, like graduate. So your parents are happy. But like, yeah, just get through it. So, well, I think that, you know, speaks to kind of what you alluded to earlier with you were always trying a bunch of new things. And honestly, 
college is the place to do that. <laughs> like college yeah. is all about trying new stuff. There's all sorts of clubs and majors and things like that. So it sounds like that really helped inform all of this. I don't want to say trial and error because I don't like the misconception that like just because something maybe didn't work out that you didn't learn something from it. So each of these explorations kind of moved you closer to where you ultimately are now. For sure. Definitely. How do you feel like this, like your marketing knowledge, like how does that help you as a designer now? I kind of think about this often because I always joke. I'm like, I've never used my degree, but I, I kind of have. I definitely think it helps with sort of my thought process behind how I like approach design. So definitely like from that strategy side of things, a lot of stuff we learned in college was like around the strategy and how you kind of get to a point of like determining what the the company is and building a business plan and, you know, SWOT analysis and all that stuff like that. So I think my time at Capital and the marketing side of things definitely helps with that aspect of like how I approach and uh, think through design. And I've always like really been interested in the strategy side of things. And I think it's because of that sort of background that I have. So it it sounds like it's not just about making it, you know, like look pretty. Of course you want it to look pretty, but you also have the, the know-how behind like, oh, this is what people are going to gravitate towards. This is where there's going to be something that catches someone's eye, you know? Yep. For sure. Yeah. Now you were at uh stock X, for almost two years. What do you remember from that time? Like, what did that that time there teach you? Yeah, StockX was great. Yeah, it was a really great place to work at uh, for the time I did. And when I first started there, uh, I was pretty young in my career. I was like my second full-time job that I had. And so it was really cool because the team, when I first started, it was three of us. My boss, Jim Renaud. And then Evan Ames, who was like the senior designer on the team, and then me. And it was really cool because they, I think from the moment I got there, they kind of just trusted me to like do what I thought was best, which I was kind of looking for at that point in my career. And so, yeah, Stockers was really great. We had like, it was also just like a large team. We like our creative team, we had in-house photographers, in-house videographers, art directors that are great, still like some of my best friends to this day. And so we just got to do like a lot of stuff and got to throw a lot of things at the wall and just be like, this is what StockX could be. And so, yeah, it was really cool. It taught me a lot about just kind of how to kind of build up that story around a design. We had a lot of ideas on like what we wanted to do and how StockX could be better. But part like most of the job was proving that to the higher ups and so we had to do like a lot of work around like okay this is how we're going to present this to you know the cmo and this is how we're going to like kind of break out these projects and so it was really cool and i think we we got a lot accomplished there Um, i worked on a team that was in charge of kind of a lot of the like front facing parts of StockX. So mm-hmm. um, the homepage and the product page and, and the searching and 
that team, I worked with a couple of really great project managers, Lee and Lily. And it was really cool. We just determined like the next five years of StockX and, and it was really great working together with them. And now you also worked for some agencies as well. Earlier, you mentioned Work & Co., which, you know, I said this before we recorded that like Work & Co. and Revision Path have a interesting relationship. It goes back a few years. Like I, I first became acquainted with them in 2018. I met one of their project managers at XOXO. I don't know how long. How long have you been in Portland, by the way? It'll be two years on oh. Sunday, actually. Okay. Okay. So this was before. So you were there, I think, after XOXO stopped having live events because they sort of stopped during the pandemic. But XOXO is like this. I guess the best way I could call it is an internet festival. And it's <laughs> even saying it like that sounds weird when you think about the internet now, but it's like makers and designers and developers and artists. Like the year that I went, Lizzo performed. Like it's a pretty nice event. I hope they bring it back one day because it's actually a, a lot of fun. But that's how I first got acquainted with Work and Co. Learned about sort of they have all these international offices and they've even done some like pro bono work for the show before they've been a sponsor before not really sure what's happening with working co i know they've got an office here in atlanta which they did ask me to head up and then that vanished into thin air but that's a whole other story i'm curious <laughs> for you though like you know you worked at at working co you've worked at some other agencies like how were those experiences because i would imagine that's probably different from a place like StockX, which I guess is kind of more of a like e-commerce startup in a way. Yeah, definitely way different from StockX. The first agency I worked at was called Truth Labs. It was in Chicago. And that agency also is like extremely different from how Working Co. works. That place, you know, we kind of worked in silos. So like one person owned a project and we were kind of the project manager in a sense. And also the designer. It was a really great experience. My boss, Tyson, uh, there was amazing, taught me a lot of stuff. But Work & Co. is very different from any place I've really worked at. Their whole thing is collaboration, which is something that I hadn't had a ton of in my career until I got there. And so it was really interesting when I got there. I remember just like when I first started, it was just the first three or four months. I was like, I have no clue what I'm doing. Like, <laughs> My head was in a whirlwind. And I remember I'd be like working on stuff. And it's a little challenging when you first start because you do share work every day. So you're like, I want to share the best stuff every day. And then you just kind of like get in your head and things never really turn out the way you want them to. And I remember working on a project and my boss, Alex, was like, we need to talk. Like, what is happening? And I was just, I don't really know what's happening here. I don't know what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't because of the company. It was just so different. And we, we just had like a really long chat and she was just kind of like, we're not expecting you to be perfect every day. You just got to kind of show up on your own pace. Like, obviously, we want you to do the work. You know, don't feel that pressure to like have to be perfect and everything has to be, you know, kind of whatever. So it was just like I really had to change my thought process around design. And I think for me, 
my brain is always going. And so that kind of translates into like how I think about my work and like how it kind of first comes on a paper. It's just once again, me throwing, just throwing things out there and seeing what was sticks and working at working code. I really had to like simplify my thought process mm-hmm. to kind of fit into their mold of how they work, which is interesting. <laughs> okay. You, you got to unpack that interesting now. You got to unpack <laughs> that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, working code does fantastic work. Everyone I work there with is like so talented and literally every day I'd be like, like, how are you doing this? Uh-huh. They work how they work. And like, that is it. <laughs> like there is no kind of like changing their process or you kind of just have to assimilate into that process. And I think that's where some of the friction comes uh, yeah. from. It's just like, it works really well and they do really great stuff. So it's, I guess I am in a sense, it's like, who am I to like change that? So mm-hmm. it was kind of like, I, I fell into that and it was great. And we did, I did like one of the biggest and best projects of my career there um, for the PGA tour. But yeah, it's just, it's just really different. Like it's, you kind of just got to fall in and trust the process there. And for me, that was hard to do. Um, mm. And I think is sort of what led me to like moving towards being independent. Yeah. Are all agencies like that? I can't say uh, all because you haven't worked for all agencies, but I mean, you've worked for different types of agencies. Is this like an agency thing? This, this like opinionated way of working or was that just unique to them? Honestly, I would say it's like somewhat unique to them. I do think when I was at Truth Labs, like there was a lot more flexibility in like how we wanted to structure the project. We worked in weekly sprints, but it was like kind of up to you to like determine what would be in that sprint and like how you would go about it and how you would present it to the client. Whereas working codes like, okay, we're meeting every day. You're sharing work every day. It's not you're not sharing work to the client every day, but you're sharing work to the overall team every day. Your reviews with the clients are on this day, this day. We are showing these three directions only. You know, the way we're presenting them is very structured. I mean, I think it's fairly unique to them. I freelance for a lot of agencies also. And I think I've always had a little bit more flexibility in how to structure things. It's very interesting that you said that's what pushed you to kind of becoming independent. Like sometimes you have to be in a, we'll say less than ideal work situation. We'll say that sometimes you're in, you have to be in that situation to know what you don't want. And this also plays into what you've mentioned earlier with like trying new things. This was another new thing that you tried. Wasn't necessarily for you, but it's again, pushing you closer to the ideal experience that you want to have, which, you know, I'm guessing right now is you being independent. Definitely. I really enjoy my time at Working Co. And I think it was definitely necessary for my career. Like, I learned so much in the year and a half I was there. Like, honestly, crazy. The process does work. And if, like, you're really willing to kind of adapt to that and fall into that, um, <laughs> it'll work great. Like, That's said, not for me. Yeah, um, not for you. And they are very product-heavy, too. And... While I love product work, I definitely did want to do more, focus more on brand. Um, mm-hmm. 
that was also part of it for sure. Gotcha. Speaking of brands, what trends in brand design do you think are going to be important in the coming years? Like, I feel like we have so much with technology and AI and machine learning and all this stuff that it seems like creativity in a way is like pushing to be automated. So from your perspective, like, what do you think the future of brand design is going to look like? It's crazy. It's hard to keep up with all this stuff. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm not falling into the automation craze yet. I mean, you see the pictures where it's like, oh, they, you know, the the generated AI photos and like everyone has six and seven fingers on a hand. Like there's work to be done to, to push us out. But I think Gen Z is going to define a lot of what we see in the future. It seems like they're like kind of running the world right now with just influencing and TikTok and and all that stuff. So I think a lot of brands are going to have to kind of pivot to fall in line with that. Obviously, you know, it depends on the brand. If you're doing like B2B stuff, it, it doesn't necessarily matter as much. But I think that's going to be definitely big. You've already kind of seen it. Somebody was telling me about they got rid of Sierra Mist and oh, yeah. changed it to some brand. I don't even remember what the name is. But Starry. It was, yeah, Starry to like fit into the, make it more popular for Gen Z. I think that's the big thing. I think minimalism, it's already kind of coming back or, you know, it's already prevalent in a lot, but I think minimalism and like really being direct with your brand is going to be really big. And I think a lot of that is in rooted in typography, which I love. So yeah, I think that's going to be big, but yeah, I think as we move forward, it's definitely going to be a lot around how you position yourself and like kind of how your brand is like showing up to the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, It kind of goes back into like that, the strategy and like the copy and the brand voice. Yeah. That's going to be really big. I think we're going to start seeing less virtual experiences and more in-person experiences. And when I say that, I mean like, Of course, I'd say over the past, what, two years or so, companies were starting to kind of dip their toe into the metaverse. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, we're making these virtual campuses and all that, you know, all this stuff that nobody was going to because it costs, you know, what, $300 to get a MetaQuest 2 to join this thing and you don't have any legs (laughs) and there's only 12 people in here. Like, no one was really going for that. But like, I saw brands like, I know Taco Bell did this where, They had like a Taco Bell room, like a hotel room, and you could like, I guess, spend the night in the room and you would it would be all decked out in taco. It's like a 360 brand experience where like Taco Bell's everywhere. You get Taco Bell room service, all this sort of stuff. I see that sort of stuff, I think, coming more and more. I mean, I think that kind of plays to like what social media and brands and influencers, because they would they'd probably be the ones that would like all that kind of gaudy stuff. But I see brands starting to create more of these in-person things, especially as folks start to get back out into the world more. Like these past few years, we've all been in the house on Zoom, on Teams, on Google Meet, et cetera. Now people want to get out, but they want to still, I think, be able to do it safely. And I think companies will start to figure out maybe how they can have these sorts of 360 type of experiences that people will gravitate towards. 
Definitely. I totally agree with that. You're definitely seeing it everywhere. I know in Columbus, there's like, it's been there for a while, but there's a brewery, Brewdog in Columbus and they have a, they have a hotel like that too. And it's like, you can like take a bath in beer. What? Just a bunch of crazy stuff. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know if that's actually true, but I know like the hotel room is very geared towards people who are like very heavily into like brewing and you know the the process of beer and stuff like that so yeah bath and beer sounds that doesn't sound good but i i see why people would do it for the novelty yeah you know who knows might be good for the skin or something (laughs) it could be it could be what advice would you give to someone who wants to like start out in brand design like what would you tell them like resources or anything like that i think Throw as much as you can out there and just see see what happens. I definitely think it's easy to get caught up finding inspiration through other brands and like media forms, you know, like Dribble or Pinterest or whatever. But I think a big part of design is like getting out into the world and kind of finding inspiration by like things that are off your screen. So I think that's definitely a big thing. I would say read a lot. I still like I have so much to learn from like an art history perspective because I never kind of had that like design school education. So I've been like really just trying to like learn more about that. So definitely like, you know, learning more about the roots and the origins. I think those would be my biggest things. I never really had a dedicated mentor, but I think that finding someone who you can come back to and who will be honest with you and like really keep it real with you is, is definitely important as well. And learn typography. I think that's huge. Like really learn how to use type is big. How do you make time for joy these days? I love sports. I play a lot of basketball. I have been getting back into weightlifting. So I've been doing that a lot uh, recently I've been getting back into playing golf. I used to play with my dad a lot when I was younger. And so trying to get back into that. I love reality TV because it is easy to watch and <laughs> you don't have to be invested in it. So I watch a lot of reality TV. I've I've always watched a ton of reality TV. Uh, I have a ton of plants, really big into to plant life, taking care of plants. And I am really big into things like anyone who knows me knows I just have like a bunch of stuff. My mom, when I was a kid, she would always make fun of me. She's like, you're a pack rat. You just like you don't throw anything out. You just keep everything. And so I have a lot of things. I like to go vintage and antique shopping a lot. And so I'm constantly like rearranging the house or rearranging my room and just trying to find ways to use all these things that I have. Yeah, that's probably the biggest. Play a lot of video games, play a lot of euchre. Yeah, just try to always, I'm always busy. I just try to stay busy at all times. What video games are you playing? Recently, I've just been playing like Call of Duty and 2K, which I know is kind of like boring. Um, (laughs) But uh, (laughs) I grew up, I really loved like RPGs and and kind of like those open world games when I was younger. So um, sometimes I'll like fall deep into that. I've been playing Horizon Forbidden West a little bit. I've played Uncharted 4 like probably 10 times. It's like my favorite game ever. 
I used to be really big in Assassin's Creed, Red Dead Redemption, stuff like that. I've been trying to get back into Last of Us, mm-hmm. but that game, oh, that, that game makes me mad. <laughs> it frustrates me. I might just have to watch the show. And not. I was going to say, I feel like that's that's popular right now because of the show. People are trying to get right. back into the game. Yep. So, yeah, I played like halfway through it and then I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. So, so earlier you said, you know, when you were sort of giving your advice for people that want to get into brand design, you said that they should, you know, sort of seek, you know, motivation in other things. So what are the things that keep you motivated and inspired? Honestly, it sounds cliche, but like everything, honestly, I like my mind is like always going like I'm always thinking about something, whether it's like something I'm working on or something that could be. So I just like I'll get random inspiration from anything. Like the other day I was driving through Portland and I like saw a street sign and I was like, oh, it like sparked something for the Euchre League that I was doing. So I, I definitely draw inspiration from just being out in the world. But I would say to get more specific, I get a lot of inspiration from music artists and musicians. And like, I've really been into like streetwear lately. So a lot of different streetwear designers, mainly Joe Fresh Goods. He's such a huge inspiration to me, mainly because he just, he does whatever he wants, but there's like always this story behind why he's doing something which i think is like super inspirational he just does like great stuff and he it's always for the community and for other people so he's a big inspiration i would say i get a lot of inspiration from people who just like build things it doesn't necessarily have to be design related but mike smith from smith Diction, everything he does is like incredible the way he talks about his work is like really great. People from Lycan, they're like a a company in New York and they do a lot of stuff with like furniture and physical items. I think their story is like super great. My friend Alex Tan, he started a studio called Mouthwash. I've actually known Alex. We haven't talked in a while, but I've known him since like middle school. But He's doing like really great stuff. He's always been super. I remember in college, we went to the same college. We went to church, the same church in high school. And I remember in college, he would just be like, we just be talking and like everything he said, I'm like, you don't need to be here. Like, (laughs) like, go do your own thing. Like you are like, he's just so smart. So I think he's doing really great stuff. Ryan Putnam. Also, he's a really great fine artist i think his story is really cool of how he does things like independently kind of on his own schedule so yeah i mean anything and everyone for sure i would say keeping a real midwest with uh joe fresh goods yeah yeah for my chicago days yeah <laughs> and black i don't know i guess well, i guess people know he's a black designer i don't know if that's totally evident from the name but yeah definitely yeah yeah, I'm definitely, yeah, like the Lycan, they're, they're both black designers. Definitely pulling inspiration from everything black, too, I would yeah. say, for sure. Do you have a dream project that you'd love to do one day? Yeah. So I think in the future, I want to do more things 
more physical and more like designing spaces. That's kind of where I see my career going. So I would love to do an exhibit at a museum. I think that would be like awesome. Somewhere where I could do like digital design, but also design the space and the physical aspects around it too. I've always had a weird affinity for doing like a wayfinding, like a large wayfinding project. It sounds boring when you say it, but I think there's like something beautiful and directions and like telling people where to go and helping people find their way. So sounds weird, but yeah, definitely something like that. Too. No, that, that, that doesn't really cool. That doesn't sound weird. I mean, our, our icon is a wayfinding sign, so <laughs> it doesn't sound weird at all. For sure. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like, what kind of work do you want to be doing? This is like what I think about every day now, I feel like. So part of the reason 2022 was a really rough year is because I just kind of felt I kind of had lost myself a little bit. I didn't really know. I guess I put a lot of purpose of my life into like my work. And so when I got laid off from my job, I was kind of like, like, what do I do now? Like um, Mm -hmm. for a while, I was like, maybe I shouldn't like do design. I, I felt like I was just like there. I wasn't really, there was like no, nothing really pushing me. You know, 2022 was like a big year of like self-reflection and like what I really want to do. And when I kind of finally took the leap and was like, okay, I'm going to be independent and we're going to make this work. I think that's when this sort of like, what is the future going to be? Became like a little bit more real. In the future, I see myself doing less design, actually. Uh, I think the goal is to sort of make design like a part-time type of thing where I can be like really specific about projects I want to take on and really just really specific about what I do and how I do it and what I want to do. And then sort of the other half of that being, I have this vision (laughs) of making a space (laughs) And and with that, I haven't thought of a name. I haven't thought of any of that. But, you know, combined with like my love of people, I really like I just love being around people. I love helping people. I love bringing people together. So there's like a love for that. There's a love for collecting and having things. And I do have a lot of things, but everything kind of has a story behind it of like why I love it and why it's sort of in my collection. So there's like the love for people, there's a love for things. And then there's also like a love for education. And so I didn't do well in college. And I think it was just because I didn't have meaning behind why I was in school. I was just there because, you know, I felt like it was something I should do. And, you know, I was making my parents proud and and stuff like that. But there's non-traditional ways to learn what you want to do and who you want to be and specifically in design i think i was i was saying before we got on we're not you know us as black people aren't really taught that you can be successful in the arts or in design you know even in music you know unless you're like a you know a huge artist so i think part of that is me kind of teaching black people that you can make money doing whatever you want and you can specifically make money and be successful, be fulfilled in design. So with all that said, uh, I would love to create a space that could 
one part be my studio where I'm doing that sort of part-time design work. And then the other half being sort of a maker space slash art gallery slash vintage shop slash gathering space. <laughs> and then like it all be centered around kind of like blackness and education and storytelling and community. It was a lot, but that's sort of where my head is at currently. I mean, I think that's that's super aspirational to to like make a center for all that sort of like positive blackness. I mean, I don't know how it would go in Portland, but I think it's a good idea. I think it's a good idea to have something yeah. like that. I've had the same thought. At first, I was like, I need to move back to Detroit to do this. Um, <laughs> and I think Detroit would be a great city for something to happen. Um, I was kind of having these ideas when I was in Detroit, but I actually think it is. I've been talking to a lot of people in Portland. I think it would actually be something that would be positive for kind of the black culture in Portland. It's like it is it's very white here. Um, Everyone knows it. And when I first moved here, I was very kind of thrown back. And even to me, as someone who was like the only black person in my high school, like I, oh, moved wow. here and I was like, what is happening? And I remember talking to people and being like, I don't know if I'm loving it here. Like, I just moved from like the blackest city in America to here. <laughs> Everyone I was talking to, they were like, well, if you move, then it's going to continue being the whitest city. Like, you know, so it's like, oh. I think there's there's a need for that space to be in Portland. I think Portland's a great city. They embrace art and they embrace design and community but you go to all these different spaces and the same person is everything looks the same all the people you know the people who own it are the same and that's not that's not a slight to anyone but the music is the same and so i think it's it's something that could definitely be beneficial for portland we'll see i'm pretty nomadic though i like to move around so i'm like oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, look, another city, something like that could do really good in Atlanta. I need to go to Atlanta more. Honestly, when I first kind of started my career, the first like year of my career was also freelancing. And I was doing a project for a company in Atlanta called Liaison Technologies. Mm -hmm. And they're based in uh, Alpharetta. And so I would go to Atlanta every so often. But I haven't been since probably... 2016. So yeah, I would love to go back for sure. Okay. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find more information about you, about your work and everything? Where can they find that online? Yeah, the best place would probably be my Instagram. It's at Tease Creates, T-E-S-E Creates. There you can kind of find the link to my portfolio and I post most of my design stuff on there. My Website's a little bit of a mess right now, but that's also teascreates.com. So yeah, those would probably be the two best two best ways. All right. Sounds good. Well, Matisse Fields, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I think, you know, the one thing that I got from your story that I think people listening should take with them is that it's okay to try a lot of different things. I mean, design is a very vast field. It's okay to try different things until you find what it is that works for you. I mean, when I got into design 20 something years ago, like, you know, there weren't that many paths that you could go. 
And now I think even with all the different places you can go, people still just funnel into like, I'm only going to do UX or I'm only going to do product. And like, there's so much more out there. And I think what your story really illustrates is that it's possible to make a living as a designer and that you just have to try different things until you find what it is that works for you, which it sounds like you definitely have made happen. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, It's been great chatting with you for sure. Big, big thanks to Matisse Fields. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Matisse and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is sponsored by Brevity and Wit. Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They're always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit, creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is also sponsored by Hover. Building your online brand has never been more important, and that begins with your domain name. Show the online community who you are and what you're passionate about with Hover. With best-in-class customer service, free who is privacy, and more, Hover is there to help you bring your online dreams to life. Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio located in Atlanta, Georgia. Our executive producer is Maurice Cherry, and our editor and audio engineer is RJ Basilio. Intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. Transcripts are courtesy of Brevity and Wit. If you like this episode, please let us know. We're on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Revision Path, all one word. Or you could follow us on Spotify or Amazon Music. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Or leave us a message on our hotline at 626-603-0310. As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.